It's Thursday, June 17th, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Peter Bergman on the road for Radio Free Oz, and I'm in the Hello Kitty Main Cathedral of the Church of One Way Light, listening to Pastor Mercer Berther wind up his sermon to the 5,000 One Way Lighters here in the hall. Many of my flock have come up on me and asked, Pastor, how can we be sure that we're real Americans and not a bunch of undocumented parasites like all the not-me's out there? And I say that God has given you more than two punched stone tablets, more than one rosy crosshair, more than a thousand virgins waiting on the wrong side of heaven for themselves. He has given you his most precious seal. He has certified us. And we noose that holy ticket around our necks and hang it proudly twixt our breasts. Pastor, uh, Peter Bergman, Radio Free Oz. Hey, you really had the congregation in the palm of your hand. Well, it's where I like to hold him. Him? Uh, uh, no, no, this, this, my badge, my birthright, my birth certificate. I hold it very dear. May I read it? Sure. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Mercer Berther was born to Luther and Bertha Berther mm-hmm. on July 3rd, 1951, attested by Corliss McClutter, the redundant register of Hintville, Arizona. Yes, I'm a Hintville hyena, class of 67. Summer nights under the bleachers with the cheerleaders. Or was it the drum majors? Well, anyway, walk with me through the one light trade show to my lair. <laughs> The Church of One-Way Light welcomes the North Oklahoma Teabag Dips and the Phoenix Chapter of the Fun Famished Freeloaders. You're wearing your ticket, so come in and kick it. So, where's yours? Where's my what? Your certificate, Pilgrim. Oh, 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 this? No, not your press pass. That's not your American ticket. Any tanned, skin-clean, shaven, wide-hipped terrorist could walk in here with one of those. Well, I don't find it necessary to walk around with my birth certificate hung around my neck, Pastor. Obamanite. I'm not the president's man. Hey, he ain't the president, because he won't sport a ticket. So I don't have to pay him taxes so he can go sleep with Che and Mao. Go easy on him, Lighter. He's a tweeny. Tweeny? Yeah, you're tween, being an idiot and getting a ticket. Down here, you don't wear one of those. They're likely to drag you off and push your ass through the wrong face of the fence. I saw a lot of uh, soldiers in the cathedral, Pastor. Oh, that's the one-way light brigade. They're not going back to AFPAC until Mr. B. Hussein up there in the White House flashes his membership. And what if he does produce his birth certificate? What then? Well, I'd say that any man who can manipulate the internet to get elected president is capable of going up there and getting a counterfeit ticket. No, that not-me-is-keen-ya-bound will throw away the election and Senator Dang Fence and Mama Grizzly will take over and then it's one-way light all the way. This is Peter Bergman for Radio Friaz. And I'm getting my ticket out of here. Yeah, Radio Free Oz. Kicking it out here on RadioFreeOz.com. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osmond. Hey, Pete, and here we are on a Thursday, and the oil is still spilling. Oh, man. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, what are we going to do about that? I don't know. I don't know. They tried to cap it. Now, basically, they're just trying to cover it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. If the cap doesn't work, just deny it. Just cover it up. Do something. Those aren't those pelicans are just fine. They like all that oil. It kind of well, it's, it gets very friendly when they get uh, taken into homes and cleaned up and everything. I mean, that's the animal. It's a re- animal human relationship. It's a thing. Bonding, bonding experience, sure, right? Absolutely. Bonding and speaking by, of bonding, <laughs> bonding by the barrel. Oh boy. Uh, oh, I, uh, yep. our latest teabagger. Uh, you oh, know, we, another we got, teabag we, story. Well, we got the teabagger opening, so yeah. we may as well like continue the the, the thought. 
the big teabagger now is Sharon Angle because she's the one that's running against Harry Reid in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's totally whacked. So everybody has a chance to, to look into the latest whack from Angle. Well, turns out she spoke out strongly against fluoride. This is before, a while ago, the substance known alternately for improving dental health and is a communist plot to undermine Western yeah, that's democracy. A, that is a you real 50s get, item. <laughs> you can guess which side she was on that. <laughs> she also suggested support for making alcohol consumption illegal. Let's go back to prohibition. That's not very teabaggy, though, is it exactly? Well, that doesn't sound teabaggy. No. certainly doesn't sound libertarian, but no. go on. But then there's another. She's not through yet. Uh-huh. Then she noted that... In 1999, she had a proposal of a bill that would have required doctors to inform women seeking abortions about a controversial theory linking an increased risk of breast cancer with abortion. She's, of course, devotedly pro-life, but the abortion causes breast cancer theory is a myth spread in part to discourage abortions. Well, yes, a myth. And she, she, she propounded this in 1999. But wait a minute, I want to go back to those first two. Those are weird thoughts. Yeah, I mean, fluoride is a... Where, what? Uh, the, Who the, came up with that? That the, wasn't even well, Bircher stuff, was, was it? No, it was kind of a... It was sort of a... The government is poisoning us by putting fluoride. It was a, a, a know-nothing thing, you know, yeah. because it, fluoride was, you know, a, a, a chemical right. that they were putting in public water supplies to, to and, reduce cavities. Yeah, well, they thought it was to reduce your brain, and it was a communist conspiracy. But this is like 1950s. Who even thought of that since then? Well, but but the thing is, the teabaggers are basically a sink of conspiracies. Any conspiracy theory works with those nuts. It really does. I mean, I expect one of them to stand up and say, you know, <laughs> we never went to the moon. Barack Obama says we went to the moon. He implies it when he talks to NASA, but we never went. We never went. Well, that's. I'm glad they're, you know, they could have. The thing about the teabaggers is that when they get the tea parties together, they, they're really going to have a good time because they've got these great things to talk about. They'll never run out of conspiracy theories. Absolutely. The, 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 the mud will never get deep enough that they can't jump in and slosh around and, and dig around. And if they just look at what actually happened and in is this country happening. and is happening every day and went after that, oh, boy. Well, it, that would make some sense. It would be a different party. Okay, this report on Afghanistan comes from the Washington Post. That's the newspaper that Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman worked for. Always one of my favorites. Okay, it appears that residents of Anistan, that's one of the stands inside Afghanistan, a one-time Taliban sanctuary, see sign that the insurgents have regained momentum in recent weeks despite early claims of success by U.S. Marines. You know, it, it, it always surprises me, even though I've seen it so many times, pictures of Marines, you know, doing nation-building. Marines, to me, you know, Chesty Puller and his Marines hitting the beach. They're only a few good men and all that. They're tough and they're rough and they, and they say Semper Fi to each other at the, you know, at the drop of a helmet. And here they are playing what, you know, State Department wusses. Anyway, the longer-than-expected effort to secure Marja, and that's the one before Kandahar, is prompting alarm among top American commanders that they will not be able to change the course of the war in the time President Obama has given them. Poor President Obama. Given them, they gave him Afghanistan. Thank you, Mr. Bush. Firefights between insurgents and security forces occur daily, resulting in more Marine fatalities and casualties over the past month than in the first month of the operation, which began in mid-February. So we're losing more people now after the operation is over. The slow and uneven progress has worried senior military officials. Uh, in Kabul and Washington, who intend to use Marja as a model to prove that more troops and a new war strategy can yield profound gains against the Taliban. Our General Stanley A. McChrystal, the top U.S. and NATO commander in Afghanistan, told officers here in late May that there is a growing perception that Marja has become a bleeding ulcer. Once again, I've got to salute McChrystal. I mean, (laughs) a truth teller. He could be saying, well, we're not getting the progress we want. We're making progress. It's a little slower than we expected. No, it's a bleeding ulcer. The challenge of stabilizing Marja has also prompted concern among commanders planning a large upcoming operation to combat the Taliban in and around the city of Kandahar. This is the one that was supposed to be starting soon in theaters everywhere or theaters of war everywhere. But because of overrun costs, won't be coming up until September. 
They are seeking to draw lessons from key problems encountered here and develop new approaches, particularly in increasing the presence of Afghan civil servants. Ha, ha, ha. We're always hearing about how we're going to upgrade the Afghan civil civil servants and the Afghan police. Ha, ha, ha. Does the word Keystone Cops come to mind? The Taliban continues to make its presence felt. Yeah, they live there. They seed the roads with homemade bombs and snipe at marine patrols. They threaten, beat up, and kill residents who accept U.S. reconstruction assistance. And they still own the night in many parts of the area. Is that familiar? They own the night. I think that's the Billy Joel lyric from We All Go Down, We All Go Down Together, a la Vietnam. Look, I am no in any way supporter of the Taliban. These people are just beasts. These people should be, they should be put away. But the fact is, is that we can't stop them because, one, we don't live there, we don't speak their language, and as far as they're concerned and the rest of the villagers are concerned, we're crusaders! When the Marines entered Marja, they planned to combat the Taliban with a comprehensive counterinsurgency campaign. They went in with overwhelming force, and they had more Afghan soldiers and police officers as partners than in any previous mission. Some Marine officers said they had achieved catastrophic success. Now that, that, I don't know about that one. I've got to try that out on some friends. I'm having a catastrophic success with this. Now, it's now clear that the Taliban fighters were regrouping. Many also took a break to participate in the harvest of opium-producing poppies, which pays more per day than working for the insurgency. This is getting more and more surreal, right? We're putting people in jail, ruining lives over, over taking and selling heroin. We have this whole world effort to stop drugs, and yet... <laughs> The Taliban is taking off from, you know, screwing us over in Marja to raise poppies. The insurgents resumed planting improvised explosive devices on the rutted dirt roads after they planted opium, and small units of, of, of fighters started shooting at Marine foot patrols. Their most significant response has been to threaten and sometimes attack residents who have sought to participate in reconstruction programs or work with the Afghan government. You know, this is how vicious these people are. One elder was beheaded after attending a meeting with the district governor. That'll put a pall on uh, local cooperation. Five more were murdered after another gathering. All told, there have been a dozen cases of retaliatory killings of civilians and many more incidents of people being assaulted or receiving threatening letters under their doors at night, according to U.S. officials. Yeah. Well, before the Marja operation, this is again one of my favorite sobriquets from Afghanistan, where Crystal pledged to deliver a government in a box that would provide basic services to the population with the hope of winning its allegiance. The box has turned out to be largely empty. This is kind of a magic trick, isn't it? Here, see? Box full of government, full of hope, full of progress. Open it up in Marja, it's empty! Marja's chief uh, official, Haji Zahir, who spent four years in a German prison for attempting to murder his stepson, this is our man in Marja, is regarded by some of the civilian reconstruction advisor here as an ineffective manager with a proclivity for lengthy siestas. So Karzai is dealing secretly with the Taliban, and our man in Marja, who tried to kill his stepson, is asleep. Well, Pete, I know that uh, we don't want to bring up the oil spill more than we have to. Oh, I'm, I've just I mentioned earlier, I'm doing nothing but oil spill. I'm yeah. covered with that story. I know, it's really something. But, but here's a sidebar that I thought was the gastronomical um, results of this oil spill have been that our president went down to a Gulf port, mm-hmm. Mississippi, right? right? Went down and he had to eat. I mean, politicians have to eat pretty uncomfortable things. I mean, there's pizza and there's hot dogs and all of that. But our president submitted himself to, in Orange Beach, Alabama, crab claws. Okay, that's all right. Crawfish tails. Uh, Ribs. Yeah, cool. And nachos. All together at the same time. Yeah, I think I'm going to, excuse me. (laughs) Poor old bloated Barack Obama. But what's so weird about it is they're all pieces of animals. They're just the claws and the tails and the ribs. And the nachos. Those those poor animals lost their nachos. They cut their nachos off just, just to feed our president. I think it's pretty weird. 
I've got to believe that BP stands for bad publicity. While President Obama insists that the federal government is firmly in control of the response to the BP spill in the Gulf, people in the coastal communities in Louisiana and Alabama know an inconvenient truth. BP, not the president, controls the response. In fact, people on the ground say things are out of control. Even worse, BP is using federal agencies to shield itself from public accountability. This is part of the growing scandal. How much is the White House covering for BP? And why? For example, the thin red line marking the federal flight restrictions of 3,000 feet over the oiled Gulf region has just been jumped to include the coastal barrier islands off Alabama. All of a sudden. There's only one reason for that, a pilot observed. BP doesn't want the media taking pictures of oil on the beaches. You should see the oil that's about six miles off the coast, he said grimly. So the federal government is working with BP to keep people from taking pictures Oh, my. Uh, Well, the pilot said, we look down at the um, wavy orange boom surrounding the islands below us. The pilot shook his head and said, there's no way those booms are going to stop what's offshore from hitting those beaches. And BP knows this as well. The booms can only deflect oil under the calmest of sea conditions, not barricaded. So they have stepped up their already aggressive effort to control what the public sees. And it ain't going to work. A few days later, the jig was up with the booms. Yeah, yep, the boom, it's now bust. The booms are bust. Oil was making landfall in four states, and even BP can't be everywhere at once. CBS's 60 Minutes found entire sections of boom hung up in marsh grasses two feet above the water off Venice. On the same day on the other side of Barataria Bay, Louisiana Bayou Keeper documented pools of oil and oiled pelicans inside the boom on the supposedly protected landward side of Queen Bess Island off Grand Isle. With oil undisputably hitting the beaches and the number of dead wildlife mounting, BP is switching tactics. I can see them sitting in the room saying, oh, my God, the, the more pelicans wearing oil and people are beginning to talk. we gotta, we got to come up with some other scam. Call the White House. In, in Orange Beach, people say BP wouldn't let them collect carcasses. Instead, the company was raking up carcasses of oiled seabirds. One resident complained, there's no way th- those birds are going to be autopsied. BP is destroying evidence. Why am I not surprised? The body count of affected wildlife is crucial to prove the harm caused by the spill and also serves as an invaluable tool to evaluate damages to public property. Yeah, the dolphins, sea turtles, whales, seabirds, fish, and more that are owned by who? They're owned by the American public. Disappeared body counts means disappeared damages and disappeared liability for BP. I say BP should not be collecting carcasses, except perhaps for the members of their board of directors. The job should be given to the NOAA, which is a federal agency, and volunteers, as was done in the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska. You know, one of my big worries, Pete, is when uh, major corporations, you know, like the three that own the rest of the world, uh, change their names from, you know, somebody's name yeah. to like the X corporation. Well, that's what, uh, remember when U.S. Steel became USX. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And 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 uh, uh, what was Esso? That was uh, Standard Oil, Oil of, you know, Pennsylvania or, or wherever it was. But recently, like the railroad companies are THX and the, everything has gone down to being a, just, you know, an imitation of the real name when Henry Ford made Fords and, 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 still and GM Ford. made Chevys and, you know. Oh, no, no, excuse no? me. Sorry, sorry. According to an internal memo, this is from the Gray Lady. Oh, no. Obtained by the Times. Uh-huh. GM has instructed its employees to stop all uses of the word Chevy. Well, shut my mouth. Yeah, in fact, it can get you fired. A GM memo advises that whether you're talking to a dealer, reviewing dealer advertising, or speaking with friends and family, that you communicate our brand as Chevrolet moving forward. And they say, when you look at the most recognized brands throughout the world, such as Coke or Apple, for instance, one of the things that they focus on is the consistency of their branding. Mm -hmm. Why is this consistency so important? Good question. The more consistent a brand becomes, the more prominent and recognizable it is with the consumer. I might 
tell them that that's fine, but if that pile of junk doesn't work, I don't care what you call it. And if it's a real workhorse, you can call it a Chevy all day and people will just love it. That's right. And people will love a Chevy more than they will love a, how do you pronounce this? Chevrolet? Yeah, and that's just some that's just some old French. I don't know who the Frenchman was well, they named was it after. Chevrolet anyway, I you mean, know. Do I have to go see now Chevrolet Chase but, comedies? But your she- she- <laughs> yes, Chevrolet Chase. Yeah, oh, do yeah. I have to drive my Chevrolet to the Leverolet? Yeah, or up- you'd have to do that. Well, what's no, happening? That makes no sense. I'll tell you this, Pete. This is my prediction. Okay. Before this news hits the air, yeah. they are going to be so embarrassed, humiliated, and generally abject about this stupid move yeah. that they will say Chevy just say it just keep saying Chevy yeah. Chevy Chevy don't say Mini Cooper no Mini no don't say that no. don't say say Chevy Chevy Chevy, Chevy. Yeah, you know, they'll come out with we're GM we're Chevy and on certain areas of their website there's still many many references to Chevy so we'll just have to wait and see I'm online again Skyping with Scott Wilde, our social media guru. We, last time we talked about metrics, trying to figure out who, who comes up, how much they're worth, how long they stay. And we, we didn't get it all done because there's so much to say. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a kind of a summary and then take it forward on this idea of putting everything on one site so you can get a good solid look. All right. Well, a quick summary is that you know we we talked about last time focusing on the number of unique visitors that you're getting, and then how often are they coming back? Um, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about last time is where are they consuming your information? And right now, with Radio Free Oz, they can go to RadioFreeOz.com, which is our main uh, homepage, and we're using a wiki environment right now. All of the archives are actually being put over on the Chromium Switch site. So if you click on the link down at the bottom to listen to the archives, they're listing those on a blog, and those are all consumed individually. Now, personally, that's where I'm consuming most of the episodes Uh because I want to download them for my iPod and listen to them while I'm on the road. So I'm not, excuse me, I'm not consuming them live on your site or streaming through your Radio Free Oz site. which is another important thing that we need to talk about. When we build the new site, we're actually going to contain all of the materials in one site so that the archives and the, the initial posts are all located under the same URL because we want to get that link credit. We want to get that traffic built up under the same URL, which is Radio Free Oz. So the example would be if I won't go over to the archives, instead of going to rfo.chromiumswitch.org, it would be RadioFreeOz.com slash archives. And now that I'm consuming, those metrics are available on the same um, same report. So <clears throat> one of the important things is that you have to know where all of your metrics are located and kind of just lump them all together and sort of take the big picture reading. So the more that you can have everything tied into one site, obviously the better. So we've got our metrics, Okay. Uh, what about being able to reach uh, many, many social media sites without having to post to all of them? Is there, are there tools that can make this, this available to us? Absolutely. Let's start with the one that we're going to implement um, on our brand new site, the Radio Free Oz site, um, the, which will be a WordPress blog. We're going to use a free site, a tool out there called Twitter Feed, and it's free to sign up for. And what we do is we actually take the RSS feed, which stands for Really Simple Syndication. It's like subscribing to a newspaper, only people are going to be able to subscribe to Radio Free Oz and have it delivered every time there's a new episode posted or a new message posted that can automatically be delivered to their inbox, their phone, or wherever they choose to subscribe to that RSS feed. Now, using RSS, excuse me, we're going to push that out to our Facebook and our Twitter feeds as well. So every time we post a new episode inside of Radio Free Oz, it's automatically going to update the Facebook fan page as well as the Twitter feed that says, hey, there's a new episode online, and the link will take people right to that episode, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, will help in, in the metrics because that will all track through on one report. So that's one way of 
becoming more preeminent on the web. You post something once, you want it to push it out to as many sites as possible and let people know. So Twitter feed and, and some of the pingbacks that we install in the plugins in the back end, um, we'll discuss those in greater detail once we get the site up and running. Those will actually push out to many different directories as well, uh, podcast directories, blog directories, to let people know, hey, this stuff is out there. So we want to post it once and have it show up dozens and dozens of times all over the web, if not hundreds of times. Well, this is great, uh, Scott. As, as we say, we call your segment Great Scott for a good reason. So we'll be talking <laughs> about, well, we're going to be getting more and more complicated and more and more relevant as we go along. Thanks for being with us. And uh, say hello to all our fans in North Dakota. Done deal. Robert Lovejoy and his wife are losing sleep because they're unexpectedly losing their unemployment benefits. We get up earlier, we can't sleep in because our minds are racing, said Lovejoy, who told Huffington Post he'd received his final check six months after losing his job as a video colorist for a production company in Philadelphia. This is a high-tech job, video colorist. This is no mean thing, and he can't find other work. Quote, it's the difference between having health insurance, having an automobile, and not being in default with my creditors. Losing your credit... You know what that does to your self-esteem? Do you have any idea? The Lovejoys are among 42,800 long-term unemployed who have stopped receiving benefits from the Pennsylvania Department of Labor and Industry. This is just Pennsylvania. Across the country, 323,400 will permanently exhaust their benefits soon because Congress failed to reauthorize several domestic aid programs before they lapsed. Uh, the day before they took off for their Memorial Day recess. Oh, oh, I forgot to help all the structurally unemployed. You know, it's like, oh, I forgot to have a baby. The House passed its version of the tax extenders bill to preserve the unemployment benefits, along with money to help states administer Medicaid programs and extra reimbursement for doctors who see Medicare patients, among other things, on May 28th, after the Senate had already skipped town. The senators skipped town. People like the Lovejoys will get their benefits retroactively after the president signs the bill whenever that happens. Until then, they'll just have to make do. Even one missed check can make life difficult for people who have already gone six months on only $320 a week. That's the average size of an unemployment check. Well, a lot of those senators should be unemployed as soon as possible. I think it's terrible that families, on top of everything else, are going through an emotional roller coaster, said Senator Debbie uh, Stabenow, and she's uh, the Democrat from Michigan, uh, when asked by the HuffPost about the people missing checks. So up and down, that's what's going to happen to them. Are they going to be able to make the house payment? Are they going to be able to put food on the table? And Jack Reed, the Democrat of Rhode Island, said, I think this is outrageous. Rhode Island has an unofficial unemployment rate of 12%. That's one out of eight officially unemployed. Unemployed. That doesn't include the people who have given up going to work, the people who are working as uh, housewives and are not counted as unemployed or not paid for their employment. It goes on and on. The real unemployment rate in Rhode Island is probably somewhere around 20%. He said, we have never failed to extend emergency benefits while the unemployment rate in this country is above 7.4%. This goes back several decades, several different administrations. It was done routinely. It was done because these people need our help. Help. These people need our help. Listen, this bar doesn't serve anything but 69-cent bar scotch. That's all you get here. Uh, it's good? It's terrible. i tell you something. I took 43 drinks waiting to get on a plane from Burbank to Oxnard yes, yesterday. Yeah, I waited down, that's at inter, uh, inter, Interplanetary Airport uh, Central, uh, yes. Right, yeah, well, it's, it's as close as possible to, to where I live, if you want to call out a living. I understand. 65 drinks, you took. 40, uh, 48, actually. That was a good year for Bar Scott. I was absolutely destroyed. I got up to 20,000 feet, and I began to see people with weapons in the plane. I began, no. oh, yeah, right. Well, they were there, of course. Oh, well. But you can't see them until you get that. All right. Is everybody here now? I think we can begin. <clears throat> the president has asked us president. to write 
God bless the Fred. president. All right, Fred. I know we God all God bless the president. All right. All right. Please, gentlemen. Gentlemen, please. Is this microphone on here? Please. Uh, the president has asked us to communicate with those countries who are presently growing marijuana and uh, poppies. I, I hope, I know, Jimmy, that you're going to say that the artificial poppies that you give out as part of the veterans program will be affected by this. It is not true. You cannot smoke those. No, we never. They are inflammable, we, as a matter we, of fact. We never, we Can never. turn his microphone Thank on you there? very Thank much. You, Thank you, Senator. As we never have any, uh, any, uh, uh, we never smoke any of those poppies right. at all. They're, right. they're for medicinal purposes and they're to right. be swallowed whole, anyway, except for a little seed. I think we should all get behind this effort and push him over the top and get these countries, these nasty countries, to stop growing this stuff so that we can get a market on it here at home. I think that's lucky strike green is going to hit the streets, right. right? Keep the problem in the pockets of the businessmen, that's you, what I you, say. You better believe it, friend. And let's back the president all the way up there. I backed him yesterday into the swimming pool, and I nearly lost all of my senatorial privileges. For example, I can't go to the electric wee-wee room anymore. Yeah, well, that's since the French have come, right? Yes. Ever since they started speaking German on the first floor, I can't get anything worthwhile to eat except a little beer brat. Have any of you tried to run the maze on the fifth floor? Oh, no. Oh, I can't. They wouldn't give me a key to the fifth floor. That's they, where they keep no? the secretary. I no. live in an office that used to be Ralph Nader's. Oh, no, really? That is the Nader. <laughs> that, that, that's a pun. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, gentlemen, I think that's really enough sorry. for today. Let's all retire into the retirement of... room and have a little drinky drink. <laughs> Well, Pete, I hear that uh, horror films are so popular uh, these days amongst the horror aficionados. No blood is bloody enough. Uh, uh, is a great investment market. Well, no, yeah, no. there's a downside. Dave. Yeah, yeah. You know, this guy Andrew Vanderhouten, you know, got a letter two weeks ago rejecting his request for Michigan public money to help finance his latest horror film, The Woman. Uh huh. This would be like uh, like film, you know, come to our state, make a yeah, make exactly. a movie here. Yeah, states yeah, states yeah. are giving money away. Forty four states out of out of those fifty some, <laughs> do it. Well, uh, hey, I well, mean, it's that's great. They want they didn't want this guy to make a movie in, no, in that and no. And here's why they said okay. this film is unlikely to promote tourism in Michigan or to present or reflect Michigan in a positive light. Oh. said the film commissioner, uh, Janet Lockwood. She's particularly objected to this extreme horror film subject matter, namely realistic cannibalism. Oh. Realistic cannibalism, you know, like gourmet. The gruesome and graphically violent depictions described in the screenplay and the explicit nature of the script. Okay. Okay. Among the 44 states that began underwriting film and television production with heavy subsidies over the last past decade, at least a handful now are giving scrutiny to the question of whether or not the film, you know, is going to be good for the state. Less than two years ago, the same Mr. Vanderhooten became one of the first to take advantage of Michigan's generous subsidy, which mm -hmm. pays up to 42% of a movie's cost. That's wow. amazing, That's man. a great place to make a movie, yeah. When he yeah. made Offspring, Offspring, a cannibalism-themed horror picture that was later distributed by the Ghost House Underground direct-to-video line and has been showing on NBC Universal's Chiller TV network. So n they just don't eat cannibalism in, in Michigan. Not, not the second cannibal movie. No, no, not no, the second. The first one was okay with them. Yeah. You, know? you can eat the popcorn, but not the people on screen. You know, the BP spill and the launching of Radio Free Oz are basically coexistent. It was only like a couple of days after we started on Earth Day, the 22nd of April, that this whole thing happened. So I feel like I'm covered with this BP spill. You know, I feel like a pelican. So I, I, I've got to give it all to you. I mean, it's everywhere because if we don't pay attention, these bastards are going to get away with it. All right. This is from Time Magazine. The bigger the mess a big corporation finds itself in, this is kind of a Murphy's Law, the slipperier its use of language becomes. And slipperier is kind of a, a good image for the, the oil crisis. In the 52 days since its oil has been following the Gulf of Mexico, BP spokespeople have proven themselves masters of the art of linguistic obtuseness. 
There has been the company's promise to pay all, in quotes, legitimate claims, as well as its pledge to make things right in the Gulf, without ever explaining just how it defines legitimacy and rightness and who gets to make the call. Yeah, legitimate claims, this is the the corporation that sent people out immediately after the disaster all along the shore in Alabama, offering people $5,000 to sign away all liability. Yeah, legitimate claims. Okay, then too, there's BP's use of the word estimate, usually meant to imply just an estimate when it speaks of the government's calculations about how much oil is pouring into the Gulf each day. It's no wonder BP wants to cast doubt on the numbers since they've been rising steadily for weeks. Initially, the company claimed that only 1 to 5,000 barrels were leaking per day. On May 27th, the U.S. Geological Survey announced that more more accurate figure was 12 to 19,000 barrels. That calculation came from infrared scans, the surface of the Gulf, low-resolution videos of the bleeding wellhead, and measurements of the oil that was being collected by a narrow collection tube inserted in the broken riser pipe in mid-May. You'd think BP had these figures. Maybe they did. Maybe they were just too embarrassing. On June 10th came the latest and most staggering update. According to the government's flow rate technical group, whoever that is, it's a multi-department team of experts appointed on May 19th. Oh, they're new. Anywhere from 20 to 40,000 barrels are gushing from the busted wellhead every 24 hours. Now, well, that's a maximum of 1.68 million gallons per day, or one Exxon Valdez disaster every 6.4 days. So just about at the end of the week, 0.6 of a day before the end of the week, it's another Valdez. We should have, we should have carnival, right? I mean, six-tenths of a way through every Sunday, it's Valdez. Valdez again! The government's efforts to get the true measure of both the environmental and legal damages has been stymied by the lack of good, sharp, high-definition videos that could allow for a crisper analysis of the flow rate. BP officials had those videos, but did not hand them over until Washington formally ordered them to do so. And it was studying those images that yield Thursday's 20,000 to 40,000 gallon figure. You know, the, the government, you know, they have the power to demand anything they want to. They can take people off airplanes. They can, they can declare war illegally. They can do anything they want to. They can't get sharp videos of the greatest ecological disaster of my lifetime. You know, I don't know. Well, whoever BP thinks they're fooling, they aren't fooling the market. An influential ratings agency downgraded BP uh, because of worries about the continuing Gulf of Mexico spill, sending the oil company's shares to a new low to junk status or almost junk status. The ratings company said it was concerned by reports from U.S. government scientists that the volume of the spill was significantly larger than previously indicated, like we said. And it was also worried by pressure from U.S. officials on BP to pay billions of dollars into an escrow account to guarantee payments of cleanup costs. See, guarantee, escrow. BP doesn't like to hear that because you can't spin an escrow. You know, the only way you can hurt these corporations is to lower their value. The, you, you, can't, you can't send these bastards to jail unless they personally are criminal. That's why we have to decapitate the corporations. We have to take away their status before the courts and the law code as people. They ain't people, their fictions. Well, both of these events, we're talking here about the fact that the estimates are larger and they may have to put real money into a real escrow account, have had a direct bearing on BP's fundamental financial flexibility, the rating agency said. BP has lost 45% of its value since the April 20th explosion at the Deepwater Horizon rig in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the one that killed 11 workers and set off the worst oil spill in history. My question is, how many people at the top of BP are shorting their stock? a soldier boy in the twilight of my youth when I still could feel love and a trust in above for the truth I fought with bravery then I left my gun behind but 
the misery I've seen Never wiped itself clean from my mind Now I'd never, ever close my eyes completely One of the big complaints amongst Americans is that Osama bin Laden got away. Remember Tora Bora and suddenly he's there and he's not there and he's always making these bad videos about, I'm going to kill more of you and ha ha ha, you can't get me. I always thought you just should follow the electrical cord to his dialysis machine and you'd find him. Well, an American armed with a pistol and a 40-inch sword was detained in northern Pakistan recently. He told investigators he was on a solo mission to kill Osama bin Laden. Okay? The man was identified as a 52-year-old California construction worker. Guy's name is Gary Faulkner. No relationship to the great writer, Mm. I think. He was picked up in a forest in the Chitral region. The police initially laughed when he told them that he wanted to kill Osama bin Laden, but when the officer seized the pistol, the sword, and the night vision equipment, their suspicions began to grow. So, questioned by the intelligence officers later in Peshawar, that must have been a lot of fun, 
That's the main northwestern city in that part of the stand. Yeah. Faulkner told police he visited Pakistan. He, Pakistan. Pakistan. Oh, my golly. Hmm. What am I thinking? He visited Pakistan seven times, right? And uh, and this was his third trip to Chitral. So he'd been there seven times trying to find the man. And Chitral is a remote mountainous region in the Afghan border. It is one of several rumored hiding places for the al-Qaeda leader. No, exactly. Was he, did he, was he following the electrical cord? I don't know. He had night vision glasses, a 40-inch sword, and a pistol. He's an American, a Californian. Do you think he stood out? Gee, I wouldn't recommend, he wasn't, it wasn't like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. He wasn't dressed in the usual, you know, cover me up garments to no. travel in Eastern nations. No, no? I, th- I think he was Faulkner of Sacramento. Uh, this is from Robert Reich, who is a former Secretary of Labor. He's uh, teaching economics now in Berkeley, and he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, retail sales in May, we've just discovered, took their biggest nosedive in eight months, and consumers account, of course, for 70% of the nation's economic activity. So all of a sudden, they're spending less. They've been spending less relatively for a long time, ever since the housing bubble burst, but now they're spending even less of the less. American corporations, on the, other, on the other hand, are sitting on huge piles of cash, but they're not investing, and they're creating only a measly number of new jobs. They're actually not keeping up with the growth of the, of the labor force, of the potential labor force. We are literally losing jobs as I speak. And they won't invest, these are the corporations, and create jobs until they know there are customers out there to buy what they sell. That sounds to me like kind of a vicious circle. We're not going to hire people until there's people out there to buy our goods, but because they don't have jobs, they can't buy our goods. For three decades, starting in the late 1970s, the biggest economic problems America faced was inflation. Demand always seemed to be on verge of outrunning the productive capacity. The Fed had to be ready to raise interest rates at a moment's notice. And during this era of inflation economics, it appeared that John Maynard Keynes and his Depression-era concern about chronic inadequate demand was dead. Keynes was the guy that said, we got to pump prime the economy when there's low demand, i.e. during the Great Depression of 1932. This is not the Great Depression. We are a marketing society. This is the Greater Depression. And someday, we'll have the Greatest Depression. The so-called supply-siders told policymakers that if they cut taxes on corporations and the wealthy, they'd unleash a torrent of investment and innovation, thereby increasing the productive capacity of the nation. So you have Keynes saying, pump money in, and you've got the Reagan supply-siders with their so-called laugher curve, and it's a laugher, saying all you got to do is like just cut taxes and give the wealthy more and more money, and they'll invest it in productivity. Well, they didn't. They invested it in yachts and, and gold you know, and anorexic mistresses. But the pendulum may now be swinging back to the earlier era in which demand always seems on the verge of trailing the nation's productive capacity. The biggest ongoing threats are chronic recession or even deflation. We're in the midst of a deflation because consumers don't have enough money to buy what the economy is capable of selling at full or near employment. Despite gains in productivity, little has trickled down to America's middle class. Well, one of the reasons is they define productivity as we keep the door open here at Sprint, and we're using half the people. That's productivity. No, that's crazy-ass thinking. A row of bottles on my shelf caused me to analyze myself. One yellow pill I have to pop goes to my heart so it won't stop. A little white one that I take goes to my hands so they won't shake. The blue ones that I use a lot tell me I'm happy when I'm not The purple pill goes to my brain and tells me that I have no pain. The capsules tell me not to wheeze or cough or choke or even sneeze. The red ones, smallest of them all, go to my blood so I won't fall. The orange ones, very big and bright, prevent my leg cramps in the night. Such an array of brilliant pills, helping to cure all kinds of ills. But what I'd really like to know is what tells each one where to go. Let's go back to the land of fences and wingnuts, where it's too hot to think clearly. Beautiful Arizona. 
Sheriff's deputies raided two Sizzler Steakhouse restaurants in Phoenix recently, arresting nine employees who are suspected of being illegal immigrants and using fraudulent documents to get jobs. Well, that is against the law, okay? The raids were part of a year-long investigation into whether the operators of the two Sizzler locations broke a civil law by knowingly hiring illegal immigrants This according to Maricopa Sheriff's uh, spokesman, Lieutenant Brian Lee. Deputies were looking for 23 suspects wanted for identity theft, Lee said. Authorities believe one of the suspects was deported three times and has been hired back by Sizzler each time he returned. I've been away. I've I've been just taking a little time to think things through, but I'm back. The sheriff's office received a tip from a former Sizzler manager who claimed he had been fired because he wouldn't hire employees with improper documents. This is another example of a case where desperately needed jobs are being occupied by illegal aliens who have disregarded our laws and our borders, said Sheriff Joe Arpaio said in the statement. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, and I don't care. By the way, Sheriff, you are completely wrong. There are no Anglos standing in line for these jobs, you know, because there are no jobs on TV working in the Sizzlers. There is no cultural support for these jobs. The Anglos won't take them. It's a diss. Arpeo, known for pushing the bounds of how local law enforcement agencies can confront Ill- illegal immigration, frequently raids workplaces in the greater Phoenix area for people in the U.S. illegally. Here's the question. Where's the story of this good sheriff knocking on the corporate doors of Sizzler? Isn't it illegal for Sizzler? Didn't we just read that it's illegal for them to hire people without proper documentation? What are they thinking? Well, I didn't know, man. It's not our problem. That, 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 that Xerox piece of paper looked like, looked like the real thing to me. You know, jump on the undocumented. Don't jump on the fat cats because they can jump back. Oz comes to a close, but we don't wrap it up without a poem. This one's not about spring, though, right? No, no. um, There's only so many spring poems, and summer is coming really soon. So I'll get into the Chinese summer poems pretty soon. But, you know, poets like to write poems for other poets, and poets do like to pal around. The same thing was true back in the 8th century. And Li Po wrote this one for his good friend, Tu Fu. On Boiled Rice Mountain... I met Tu Fu, wearing a big, round bamboo hat in the hot noon sun. Tu Fu, how come you've grown so thin? You must be suffering from too much poetry. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really, really good. Suffering from too much poetry. Well, if you've been listening to Oz, maybe you're suffering from that ailment. It's the Oz team that's giving you that affliction. Peter Bergman, your host. Same moi, David Osman, my co-host. Scott Wilde is our social media guru. Bill McIntyre produces us. Dave Maloney records us. Chaz Glass crunches our numbers. Tom Gedwillow keeps the website happening. Phil Fountain makes it pretty. And John Cumming, well, he makes sure the ones and zeros fall in the right place. See you tomorrow, if there is a tomorrow. <laughs>